0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess nam And this is Jamal Dajani. Jamal, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the uh, massacre and uh, terrorist attack that occurred in Las Vegas. And then we're get, we have a couple of guests later on. But I think my question to begin with today is, you know, first of all, our, our hearts are heavy today with the unspeakable at times, tragic, disgusting, uh, horrific loss of life that took place in Las Vegas this past week. I mean, the carnage that was inflicted on those innocents is just hard to wrap your mind around. When you think about in the span of 10 minutes, so many people were killed and injured in this horrific uh, attack. It's just unspeakable at times.
1: Absolutely, Jess. And you know, here we find ourselves again in another situation here of uh, a mass murder. This is at least what Yet the again. media is uh, referring to, in my opinion. And I w- want to just jump into conclusion right away. This is terrorism. This is domestic terrorism. But wait a minute. They're and, not calling and, that. And, Jam- and they're not, and they're but, not. But we are. And this is really, I mean, number one, of course, we feel terrible. And I hope, you know, I don't know what kind of solace you can offer the families of the victims. But at the same time, let's call a spade a spade. When you have someone in the United States responsible for the shooting, I mean, you hear about the 59 deaths, but he actually shot more than five, 100 people. In 10 minutes, yeah, it's in, unbelievable. In about 10 minutes, unbelievable. the, uh, you know, I don't want to even name his name, Stefan Paddock, 64 year old former accountant, former IRS agent, former postal
0: service, uh, you know, basically a mailman.
1: And a contractor. For the DOD,
0: for the Department of Defense. He was Department. an
1: auditor for the Department of Defense. And so you don't have too many people talking about his MO. And now I watch the media. Everyone trying to analyze mass murder. Was he disturbed? What, what was he lived a secret life? What was his secret life? And I can tell you one thing. And I say this from the beginning. Had he been an Arab? Had he been a Muslim? Had he been an African-American? Had he been a person of color? The first label The first terminology that would have come into play is terrorism. Absolutely.
0: So my question for you, Jamal, and I think this is really what we need to break down in this segment of the show. How can you not call it domestic terrorism? When 58 people are brutally murdered, close to 500 are are injured, you've torn asunder an entire community uh, in Las Vegas, and, and the people who lost their lives and families that will be affected and you know forever now are, are from almost all all states in the union injecting fear and anxiety and terror into the hearts of so many people how is that not domestic terrorism and, and no one's and,
1: using that term and he forgot to mention he owned more than 58 guns all modified to be semi-machine guns. Yeah, semi-automatic. He had right. more than twenty thousand rounds of ammo they found in his car at home and in the hotel. And I mean what was he doing? Going hunting? For picnic, yeah. hunting. Hunting? Yeah. Well hunting for people yeah, tragically. This is this is tragically this was the case. But and so <laughs> if you commit something like this, I don't care about the motives I don't care who is pulling the strings. This is terrorism, and they should have said this right away. Well, and they haven't. Well, then, then,
0: then we have to come back and analyze it further, that there's a fundamental racist underpinning uh, in terms of how this society and how this country and how the media ch- and political figures choose to define the word terrorism. Terrorism is used to terrorize you know, people of color, essentially. And it's just so interesting that a 65-year-old guy, you know, uh, who's Caucasian, uh, brutally murders and injures, you know, so many people. And there is not just a reluctance to call it domestic terrorism or a terrorist act, but really anxiety and trepidation. They don't want to use the T word, Jamal. They, they say, well... You know, it's too early to talk about this. We, we need to let we need to let, uh, you know, the trauma pass and let people mourn. However, we know that when the Pulse incident occurred or when San Bernardino occurred, those horrific tragedies, that's what started the Muslim ban. That's when Donald Trump came out within less than a couple of hours and came out and, you know, was screaming up and down about terrorism and banning Muslims and we have to do this and we have to do that. Yet now, in this situation, there is a frightening silence coming from Washington, D.C., a frightening kind of silence in the, in the mainstream media, a frightening silence from, you know, so many different people and a reluctance to call it
1: terrorism. And my issue really is with the media, because I know I know that these polit- politicians, most of those politicians are in the pocket of the NRA. Right. So for one thing, that's that's the other part of uh, the discussion, Jess, right. which is the gun lobby. And uh, I've done some digging around. And interesting, uh, interestingly enough, there are websites that you can easily research. And I recommend to all of our listeners in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, in, in the entire country, b- those who are listening to us online and those who are watching us on Facebook Live, you can actually go to certain websites. You know, you could go, you could use the politico.com uh, website. That's, That's a good one. one. And you can enter the name of your representative and then uh, you can look at the how much money they receive from the NRA, the gun lobby And and why we're having this issue that this country has more guns than people, you know, more guns with people than the people themselves. And so I did some digging around because, you know, you hear all these people who are offering their condolences and shedding crocodile tears when they are the ones who stand in in the way of any legislation to prevent terrorists like him from acquiring these type of guns and this ammo. So here you go. You know, we start with Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Yes, this year alone, $171,977 from the NRA. Wow. And, 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 and you could go down the list. Ryan Zinke from Montana, $79,000. Wow. Arizona, Martha McSally, Mac- and you can go down. And I'll go to California, where we are, w- w- where we are broadcasting from. Kevin McCarthy received forty-two thousand dollars, California District District Twenty-Three. Ken Calvert from District Forty-Two in California, thirty thousand eight hundred forty-three dollars. It's ridiculous. You know the gun lobby. I mean the figures are. Astronomical. Yes, astronomical. Yeah, it's true. Five million nine hundred thousand dollars given in two hundred sixteen to in the year 2016 wow. to Republicans, Democrats received one hundred and six thousand. <laughs> so, well, you know, combined six million dollars. Wow. Those representatives who are supposed to look after the interest of the average citizen received from the NRA, the gun lobby. And then we wonder why you can't pass any legislation. And and I have to say, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, because the big discussion becomes usually, well, you're against the Constitution, you're against, uh, uh, against the Second Right Amendment. I'm not. I, I'm not against the Second Right Amendment. But I think when the Second Right Amendment was... Britain, they didn't intend to have 60 or 58 machine guns for the average citizen.
0: No, it was really about arming a militia. It had to do at that time with, with the right of, of uh, people at that time to be properly armed as a militia to protect this brand new country that had just formed. And the intent was self-defense. No one can make the argument that what happened in Las Vegas that night had anything to do with the original, you know, intention of the Second Amendment. Obviously, so the fact that this guy was able to do what he did without any kind of oversight—I mean, the other thing that's kind of interesting, Jamal—is—and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of asking you this question: How did he load 23 weapons and tens of thousands of rounds? of equipment into his hotel room, like without anybody noticing that. I mean, there's, there's all these very difficult questions that, that have to be addressed. Now, we should talk about the racism issue in terms of the media, and I want to get your opinion on this. I mean, even though it has been debunked by the sheriff, by the FBI, by Homeland Security, the guy that did the mass murder act of domestic terrorism in Las Vegas was not Muslim, was not part of ISIS, was not part of Al-Qaeda, had no connection whatsoever. You still see conspiracy theorists and people all over Twitter, Facebook, blog sites saying that this is an inside Al-Qaeda job, an inside dash job, an inside ISIS job, that he was secretly Muslim, that he had a Muslim connection because of his, his girlfriend who's in the Philippines. And we know the Philippines is full of ISIS. I mean, the amount of conspiracy theories still to create this atmosphere of Islamophobia and targeting Arab and Muslim communities for this act that this, this crazed guy did still exists. Is this a racism issue? Is this a xenophobia? What is this, Jamal?
1: Well, uh I I'm really not paying too much attention to the uh uh I guess uh, rumors that they're trying to create the distraction they're trying to to make you know the uh, trying to find a way to link him uh with a uh Islamic organization somewhere uh, of course we know that at least one website, which is indirectly linked to Isis claimed him. But that's what Isis does, uh, you know, trying to ca- capture some attention because they're on the retreat to, to, to claim anyone who does harm to innocent to innocent. To innocence. Yeah. you know, that's that's this is the way how they, uh, you know, recruit people. But what I I, I, again, I take it back. You you said uh, before that, you said something about the, uh, you know, you said something about the uh, the sheriff department. But, uh, you know, I have to disagree a little bit on the way they presented it, because their statements have also been confusing. Yeah. You know, when they say, well, we can't believe that he managed to do this all by himself. Right. Or without some connection. They cast doubt. I mean, people are still in disbelief. They just don't want to. They don't want to accept that your average dude next door could do something as heinous as as this, and therefore it has to have a connection to either some weird group, some Muslim somewhere, right. some foreign country, and 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 that's the disbelief. While. When you do have that connection, supposedly, or even by name, because we know that they've made some mistakes, they jump all over it. And that's that's uh, something I would say as far as, uh, as far as how this has been unfolding. Right. But really, the culprit is is the media. The culprit, in my opinion, is the way people are presenting it. Right. You know. And and I have some questions. People uh, are, are writing us. And again, I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. But we have uh, several viewers on uh, Facebook Live, Facebook Live but, and also uh, online listening to us. And here is a question from Chris Osborne. And he said, do you really think stricter gun laws would have prevented this tra- tragedy? And I'll pose this to you.
0: Well, people may not like the answer that I'm going to give here. And I think Chris is uh, bringing up a really good question. If you take a truly dispassionate scientific and empirical point of view, and you look at the impact of various gun laws in terms of reducing violent crimes with guns, the data are actually mixed, Jamal. This is part of the problem. We, we, we don't have a good strategy about this. And I know that the visceral or emotional reaction is to start throwing out things like we need to ban assault weapons, which I'm in favor of, by the way, or we need to do X, Y, or Z. But unfortunately, the people who are involved, our politicians who are involved in making decisions are not really taking what I would call either an empirical scientific Scientific approach actually looking at the data, nor are they looking at what I would call a public health violence protection problem because this is a very large problem. There are mental health issues, there are societal issues, there are all sorts of issues, and just having stricter laws and just saying that without the evidence to back it up, in fact, can just keep us spinning our wheels. What I will say, however, is that there is some interesting data that says that background checks, universal background checks do in fact seem to have a positive impact on reducing the amount of of gun violence. And we have a loophole in this country that if you buy a gun at a gun show, you're exempt from certain laws of getting a background uh, check so that's that 's the been one of the biggest loopholes in our country right now is that you can right now go and buy buy guns in certain circumstances and in many states and not have to go through a background check so in my humble opinion, we need to be scientific we need to be thoughtful we need to use policies that are based on science, and we need to do things that that can kind of legitimately you know really help this situation rather than just on the one hand, throwing up our arms and saying nothing works, that's not true, or going all in and saying, you know, we have to get rid of the Second Amendment. Neither extreme is really the answer here.
1: Well, we can also take examples from other countries. Exactly. England, for example. Canada. Japan. And Australia. Yeah. Australia had zero deaths or murders due to, uh, by the way, uh handguns, I think in in last year or something like that. Very, 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 very low. Similarly in countries like Japan, you know, people are going to say, well, you have to compare apples with apples. You know, the United States is not Japan. It's not Australia. I agree, but there are some vivid examples. And then I want to take, you know, I mean, I'm like you. I said again, I think, you know, you don't have to get rid of the Second Amendment, but tighter gun restrictions. Are critical. How about just background checks to prevent handguns and assault rifles from getting into the hands of those who commit mass shootings? I mean, I mean, it is that, it, you know, it's not it's not simple, but I am sure what whatever we are doing now, it's not working. It's not working. Right. The other thing about because we put is there racism involved involved? Yes, I believe that there is racism in the way we Uh, you know, people in the media and others identify the perpetrators. But also there is a historical racism. Just what's that? You know, well, I give you an example. You know, uh, the whole gun ownership policy has possessed racist undertones way before, you know, well before the Second Amendment proclaimed Americans have the right to to bear arms. And uh, here is one example in the mid 1750s, Louisiana colonists were legally allowed to beat. This is this was on the books to beat any black carrying any potential weapon such as even a can. He carried a stick if they deemed it necessary. This is what this this was, you know, but then they the the colonists, uh, the white people had uh, every right to shoot to kill.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like they still do, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you know we are completely paralyzed as a country, unfortunately, from coming up with uh, you know a thoughtful uh, approach and solutions to this problem. This is a very interesting and disturbing statistic. Sixty percent of violent uh, gun uh, actions has to do with suicides, which I thought was an interesting statistic. That If you look at violent gun deaths, 60 percent of those deaths have, are a result of people using guns to commit suicide. So that to me says that, yes, this is a, a very large, you know, kind of complicated problem. And From a public health standpoint, this really has to do with the lack of mental health services that are available. And then Paul Ryan has the audacity to say that, well, you know, we have to be concerned about the mental health issues. Yet he's the one that's pushing forward the, you know, the repeal of uh, the Affordable Care Act, which guarantees mental health services. And he is the one that's spearheading a repeal of an insurance Strategy and insurance law that guarantees people access to mental health services. So, you know, I want us to really approach this in a way that is based on common sense, reason, science, all of these things, and we're not doing it, Jamal. And as a result, what's happening? It's creating this kind of society in which everybody is nervous, everybody's fearful. What happens after an event like this? People buy more guns.
1: Yeah, they actually, that's what uh, they've been reporting.
0: People are buying more guns, not less guns. And politicians are, again, paralyzed to do anything. They have the outrageous comment, Jamal, of saying it's too early to talk about it. Well, what does that mean? So after... And then,
1: uh, I have to uh, to say, then you have uh, those who actually shift the blame right on something else. And uh, I, I have to play this uh, audio... From uh, uh, your favorite uh, <laughs> Pat Robertson, who blames Vegas shooting on disrespect for Trump, the national anthem and God, so let's see if we can get this audio
2: why is it happening? you know what I'd like to give you is the fact that we have disrespect for, for authority. authority there is profound disrespect of our president all across this nation they say terrible things about him. It's in the news, it's in other places. There's disrespect now for our national anthem, disrespect for our veterans, disrespect for the institutions of our government, disrespect for the, the court system, all the way up and down the line, disrespect. And when you lose that kind of respect, you lose this authority. But more than anything, until there is biblical authority there has to be some controlling <laughs> authority in our society Sharia and there law there is none and when wow. the, there is no vision of God the people say there is no vision of God the people run amok when there is no vision of God the people run amok and that we have taken from the American people the vision of God the whole idea of reward okay. and punishment ultimate uh, judge of all our actions we've taken that away and when there is no vision of God the people run amok
0: Uh, Jamal I don't even know what to there's that that in my mind is almost as disturbing as the murderer himself this terrorist who committed this act of domestic terrorism that Pat Robertson has really had the audacity to say That the reason that what what happened in in Las Vegas has to do with lack of respect of Donald Trump, lack of respect of authority, and he actually this goes to our show from last week, he actually says that he he actually authority is talking about no, but he's actually advocating for Sharia law. That's right. And and this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, Jamal. It's this kind of thing that is fomenting. The kind of divisions in this country, the kind of Islamophobia that's happening in this country, this kind of outrageous, hateful racism that is being ginned up right now. It's because of the likes of these individuals like Pat Robertson, who are saying the reason this happened is because uh, we don't have, basically because we don't have Christian Sharia law in this country. If we just had that, we wouldn't have these awful things happening. It's, it's, It's... I, I, can't, I don't even know what to say to this anymore, Jabal. It's, it's like stunning that he would have the audacity to say something like that.
1: You're absolutely right. And that's why I wanted to play that soundbite, or longer than a soundbite. But, uh, you know, people like him reach millions. Millions. And this is the mentality, uh, you know, that many people kind of espouse uh, in this country. We are uh, actually we have few announcements to make, and we're gonna then take a break uh, here take yeah. a break, but there are many things going on in the Bay Area uh, this uh, weekend and uh, then next week and uh, for the community here, one on uh, this coming Saturday, the Arab cultural center uh, festival festival. It's going to be uh, at Union Square on Saturday between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. It's a great event, Jamal. Anything Arab,
0: culture, music, food, get a taste of of the Arab world right here in San Francisco. It's, it's really a fantastic opportunity to broaden your horizons, to eat great food, listen to great music, and kind of, you know, break out of your... Uh, your routine. So it's uh, Union Square this Saturday, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. More information can be found at arabculturalcenter.org.
1: Also, uh, there's another event going on, which is Palestine Also Day. Palestine Day, and right. And that's going to be uh, coming also this uh, this coming Sunday also. Uh, and where's that going to be? You know, and uh, that is uh, going to be at... Uh, is Goal- that Golden Gate Park? Well, is that the Hall of Flowers? The Hall of Flowers. So you Great. have like a full weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So
0: you have uh, Palestinian and Arab immersion this weekend. Okay. That's this,
1: this whole you know this whole thing. There is also the Gaza 5K race. Yes,
0: yeah, so and we're going to be hearing about and that. And we're going to be
1: hearing about that. So we are going to take a short musical break. And uh, we are going to end our broadcast on uh, Facebook Live. But you could continue to listen to us, of course, right here on KPO San Francisco, 89.5 FM, or go to the kpo.com uh, website and listen to this stream. So, we are going to be taking a, sh- a short musical break and we will be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco this is 89.5 FM and just we were talking about we have so many things we going on We have Arab
0: Immersion Weekend
1: weekend in the in the yes, whole in the bay area, the bay area. and uh, we have with us a guest who came all the way from Haifa in, uh, in Palestine and she's a storyteller and the uh, storyteller in Arabic is Hakawati.
3: Exactly. And It's a uh, great word, isn't it? Yeah. It's so a beautiful yeah. word. We'd
1: like you to introduce yourself, mm-hmm. your name, to our listeners. Mm-hmm. And tell us, what do you uh, actually do?
3: Okay, my name is Hanan Abu Zaf. I came uh, from, uh, from Haifa. I'm a storyteller. Uh, I teach people to tell stories and also I do that with children and uh, more older people. Every story that I tell uh, behind the story is an idea or a goal or moral uh, that I, I feel so lucky that I do what I love for a living and it's uh, yeah I'm lucky <laughs> I'm lucky girl.
1: <laughs> so so, so, so the, that sounds great and I know the Hakawati you know <laughs> It's uh, a long tradition. It's a long tradition and in Palestine. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, now we're telling our age, at least my age, your age. <laughs> but <laughs> way before... Before Facebook. Before Facebook. you look
3: bef- lucky 20. Before, before,
1: before <laughs> television. Mm-hmm. Before Twitter. Before Twitter. Mm-hmm. Especially people in Palestine, they used to... Oral history, as we es- say. They used to get their yeah. oral history. Yeah. And... I used to kind of like my Hakawati at the time used to be my grandma. She used Mm -hmm. to tell me stories. We loved listening to her. I know there is a tradition where you had someone who you you, in different villages used Mm -hmm. to go, let's say, to a coffee shop or something and tell stories. So maybe you tell us how you... How did you get into this? Get into this. Uh,
3: I'm uh, first of all a writer. I I wrote a book for children. And one day, teacher t- told me, "Hanan, I feel that we want hakawati. You want storyteller to come to the schools and tell the children stories." I, wow, well, I have an idea. I want to be a hakawati, <laughs> and uh, I started in that. Oh, it was, it was so, so, so imagined that today, uh, electronic games and computers and. And the surprise that I did it, I did it, and I uh, succeed to to uh, hold people yes. around me and uh, keep him to listen to me, and that's what's amazing. Is
1: it mostly children, or now are you getting young, also younger?
3: Younger teenagers. Te- teenagers <laughs> that are oh, really? interested. Yeah, interested. Is
0: there any kind of um, kind of story that you like to? Use Do you yeah. have a specialty?
3: I I, I use uh, uh, stories from different cultures, from different literatures. Uh, for example, Chinese. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, uh, uh, Jewish or Palestinian stories, like the the story, the kind of stories that I move on the, uh, all the all the time. Uh, that's it. <laughs>
1: And uh, we should say you tell the stories in Arabic, right?
3: Arabic, Hebrew, little English.
1: <laughs> in little English. And so, what are you doing right here in the Bay Area? I mean, we're lucky to have you here.
3: Um, uh, I came to Los Angeles and I was in the French schools and tell stories in English to the children. I came here to Palestine a day and Sunday. I hope inside in October eighth. Yes, and uh, I'm lucky that I will be and. I, no, I want I to invite everyone. I, uh,
1: I think they're lucky to have you. Yeah, <laughs> you're I mean, not the lucky one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no no, I think they're very they're lucky. They're the lucky one. And we we announced actually Palestine Day is this Sunday and it's going to be at Golden Gate uh, Park Hall of wow. Flowers. Uh, so we Do you know
0: when you're going to be performing? What time? Uh, what uh, time, uh, time you're, you're going I, to be? Yeah,
3: yeah, I think it's uh, in 30 4:30. 4:30.
1: 4.30 in, yeah. a- in the afternoon, but it's an all day event. I mean, we're yeah. encouraging our it started
3: listeners. in 12, Twelve.
1: So are you going to be telling the children, the stories in English or in Arabic here?
3: In English and Arabic. I hope in Arabic eh, because I'm because sure. it's Arabic.
1: Well, you know, we have a, we have a, we invented a new language here. It's called Arab English. <laughs> most 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 of the kids here. Yeah. So you can mix Arabic with English. Arabic
3: and English. That's yeah. what I
1: call the 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 young generation, mm-hmm. the first uh, g- you know uh, generation Palestinian Americans and mm-hmm. Arab Americans here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the generation of my son. I mean. Uh, Generation of Jess just was born in this country. I was born in Jerusalem, so I'm an immigrant. Mm-hmm. So my Arabic is mm-hmm. still good. <laughs> but all the new generation, they've invented a new language.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Arabic English. Arabic English. Arab English
0: Arab yeah. English. Now and <laughs> what if people wanted to get your books or find out more about you? I know. You're a Hakawati, but do you have a website that people can go to?
3: No, I'm sorry. I do not So how
0: can they get your books? What can they do to get your books?
3: I or can send an email.
0: Okay,
1: S- mm-hmm. so I think I think maybe you should expand this a mm-hmm. little bit and create a website
3: ah, website. A website Okay.
1: or a blog <laughs> or uh, do you have a Facebook page?
3: Yeah, of course. Ah, Facebook. Okay, okay. Um, so also w- I Facebook and Twitter and yeah, LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. And, uh, because people, I'm sure they they after they meet you, they want to learn more about. It. I think it's a, of course, it's a, it's a great concept. It's a great mm-hmm. idea because what you're doing is really reviving history. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the storytelling, sadly, it's a, it's a, it's it's dying. Well, Art some, and people now you're some people are reviving it now
3: I'm say, reviving it yeah yeah
0: some people say that the storytelling is the best way to teach anyway. yeah of course Don't you think Hane?
3: I agree with that and I I think that uh, if you want to change the world you have to change the story and uh, I believe in that
1: so uh, so what uh, what are the kids favorite funny stories? stories they like like funny stories funny stories. Funny stories.
3: It's, it's amazing to, to hear the, the boys laugh uh, when when I tell a story. It's like a show in movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's more interesting than a video game.
3: Yeah, of course. Of course. Oh, yeah.
1: absolutely.
3: <laughs> so it's
0: going to be this Sunday, Hall of Flowers, you know, in Golden Gate Park. You can see a real Hakawati. Hanan. <laughs> Hanan. Hanan, yeah.
1: And look for Hanan right in the Golden Gate Park, put a big sign, say where is the Hakawati or where is the storyteller? Mm-hmm. I encourage all our listeners to go to Golden Gate Park, Hall of Flowers, this Sunday. She'll be there about four o'clock, but you could arrive a little bit a little bit earlier. And remember one thing, Hanan came all the way. All the way from Palestine. From Haifa. All the way. This is a long trip.
3: Mm-hmm. hmm
0: Okay. Uh, Hanan, anything you'd like to share with us? Anything else?
3: I just want to invite all the people that listen now to the interview. Please come to Palestine Day. All right. And thank you so much.
1: (laughs) All right, great. We're going to take another another short musical break. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco. And when we come back, we have another guest on the phone all the way from Washington, D.C. This is Arab Talk 89.5 FM This is KPOO. Stay right.
0: Welcome back to Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. So, Jamal, it's that time of the year. You know that. That's right. And one of our favorite things to talk about is the is the 5K Gaza Walk. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do in the Bay. It's, it's part of the immersion weekend, obviously, here in the Bay Area. And uh, we have our special guest with us from Washington, D.C.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a lot of things going. As we've mentioned, this weekend you have the Arab Cultural Center's festival right uh, at Union Square Sunday you have Palestine Day in the park Golden Gate Park Hall of Flowers and you can actually listen to our previous guest uh, the the Hakawati the storyteller Hanan and then uh, on October 14th it's the San Francisco Gaza 5k walk, and we are happy to have with us on the phone the uh, Executive Director for the UNORWA USA, Abby Smarden. Welcome to Arab Talk, Abby.
4: Thanks, gentlemen. I'm, I'm really happy to be here.
0: We've had you on the show many times before, Abby, and we're delighted to have you back. And the first thing right out of the gate is people forget about Gaza, you know, with with the 24-hour news cycle and everything that's going on in D.C., which is where you're calling us from, I think people tend to forget about what's happening in Gaza. So I wondered if you could just tell our listeners why do you do the walk and what is happening in Gaza right now?
4: Absolutely. Um, You are exactly right. There is so much going on in our country and across the globe right now, um, but we really cannot forget about Gaza and the people of Gaza. Um, I was actually in Gaza earlier this summer. Uh, I go every year, and I have to say, visiting this summer, uh, it was the worst situation I've ever seen Gaza in, and I visited shortly after the 2014 Israeli assault on Gaza. So the situation right now is more dire than I've ever seen it, uh, which is why hosting the Gaza 5K event is more important than ever. It's very critical uh, that we are providing additional support to the two million people in Gaza who are facing insurmountable challenges at this time. Um, As you know, there is an electricity crisis that is currently happening in Gaza. I saw with my own eyes uh, people's daily lives are turned upside down, uh, waiting for the one to two hours of electricity that they're getting per day in order to be able to carry on with their lives. Um, I visited the coast of Gaza where I saw... Uh, normally water would be pumping to a sanitation center is actually pumping directly into the sea uh, which means the the coastline is highly contaminated and people are are getting incredibly sick and all of this is contributing to psychosocial trauma that people in in Gaza are really facing the right. Gaza 5k has always supported Unrisk Community Mental Health Program to provide counseling, particularly to children in Gaza um, who have lived through repeated military assaults, who are living under the extreme challenges of the blockade, and who now are facing this unprecedented electricity crisis. And I can tell you now more than ever, the need for psychosocial support is, Uh, is, is great.
0: I agree with you, Abby. Listen, I think that people should know more about the foundation, UNRWA USA. Um, it's a 501c3, which means that, you know, their contributions are, are, are tax-deductible, which is, which is great. It's going to a great cause. So tell us a little bit about UNRWA USA.
4: Absolutely. So UNRWA USA, as you said, is a 501c3 here in the United States. Um, We serve sort of as goodwill ambassadors for the work that the U.N. agency is doing for Palestine refugees across the Middle East. It's critical that we are fundraising for specific UNRWA programs where we know that our supporters can have a huge impact. It's also critical that we're doing a lot of outreach, education, awareness building uh, around the issues that Palestine refugees face, particularly the human rights violations that refugees are facing, particularly around the idea of educating the U.S. population about the injustices, including the occupation and particularly the blockade, the illegal blockade on Gaza, uh, and and helping to, to ensure that Americans are informed on these issues, so, you know, hopefully they can have the education that they need to, to help us um, change many of those injustices.
1: So how is the registration for the arrest going, uh, Abby? And if people uh, want to register now, where can they go to uh, register?
4: So we have about uh, 400 people currently registered. Uh, We're expecting upwards of a thousand people. I would encourage people to register early. Uh, The website is gaza5k.org. You can purchase tickets online. Uh, We have tickets for adults, students, child prices. It's really going to be a fun morning. It's, it's, a really fun activity every year. So many people from the community come out. It's a nice opportunity to meet with other like-minded individuals and, and, you know, do something active for a really good cause.
0: We're speaking with uh, Abby Smartin. Abby is the executive director of Onura USA, and we're talking about the Gaza 5K uh, run, walk, crawl. I guess you do whatever you can do. You know, (laughs) (laughs) for me it it, it might be a crawl for me. But I want to really emphasize what an important event this is because Gaza has this, it's this chronic problem, Jamal, and people do forget about Gaza, yet Gaza is on the precipice every single day of, of absolute, you know, disaster and, and uh, its civil the civil infrastructure, like Abby was saying about, you know, just the sewage being treated is, is, doesn't exist. They barely get electricity it's still difficult to get food, water, and uh, medicine into Gaza. So people who are committed to justice and committed to improving the, the lives of Palestinians living under the siege in Gaza can do something about it and not just sit back and complain. So it's, what's the website again, uh, Abby, for the race? It's
4: Gaza5k.org. 5k,
0: Gaza, Gaza, G-A-Z-A 5K dot org. And can you give us the website for uh, Honorary USA?
4: Yes, it's unrwausa.org.
0: And uh, you know, we really want to encourage our listeners also to check out your website because you've got you've got some really great information uh, just about the Palestinian refugee issue in general. And uh, it's a really great organization. We'll make sure our listeners uh, check that out and come out and run, walk, or crawl October fourteenth. What time should people get there,
1: Abby?
4: Starts at nine a.m. Okay, and we'll have breakfast and coffee, so it'll really be a good time.
1: Well, uh, it looks like people need to register quickly.
0: Yeah, because I think you know, <laughs> I was going to say because uh, people, a lot of people have already registered, and we want to make sure that there's enough coffee for everybody.
1: Don't 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 wait uh, for the last mo- uh, minute and don't arrive late. Arab time. This is not Arab time. No. This is not Gaza time. It's San Francisco time. Make sure you're there october 14th so to have this great event that it's now it has become really an annual it's an annual event here right in in the bay
0: area yeah it's one of those must must things that you have to do in the bay if you're if you're in if you're in favor of uh, human rights and what's happening in gaza so abby thank you so much for uh, joining us again today i'm sure we'll be hearing from you uh, again soon
4: Thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. I would just add one last thing. Yes. Uh, at the San Francisco 5K, we have a goal of $110,000. That's going to help us fund seven counselors for an entire year. That's amazing. Seven counselors that will be at UNRWA Schools. So really hope we, get, we can hit that fundraising goal and really hope the San Francisco community can come out like they always do.
0: Well, Thank they, you al- th- they always do. That's a very modest uh, ask for people. <sighs> And uh, if, if it supports psychosocial services for you, that's, that's really great. Thanks again, Abby, and good luck. Thank you. All right. We've come to another close of Arab Talk here. Uh, thank you for listening today. You can send us your comments to ArabTalk at kpoo.com. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, ArabTalk. You could follow us uh, on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2 And you can listen to the shows on SoundCloud. We'll see you next week.